engine across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. Anything detrimental to us this week is, is last week's success. People believe that when you do good, now I've earned the right to do less. That's not the thing. You've got to understand that with success, you earn the right to do more. And so hopefully they understanding this and understanding that, um, you know, I think that's what's helping us in a streak is that we, we're understanding that we've earned the right to do more now instead of we won one game, woohoo. Um, that gives us to take a day off. That, that gets you in trouble. Um, being elite is never on sale, it's never 50% off, and it's never discounted. And that's why becoming elite is so tough. Sage words of Raging Cajun Goat, RIP. Welcome back to the Raging Review Podcast. Nick, Jerry, Josh, and the return of the prodigal son, Mr. Matt Miguez. Gentlemen, let's buckle in. We got a, a pretty beefy show tonight. Please hold your jokes. Lots of stuff in front of us this week. Um, I'll start with saying that it's good to have Matt back. We're a party of four now. Uh, it's going to be a little bit harder to get a table at a fancy restaurant, but you know what? We'll, we'll make it work. Matt, how was your week, sir? Man, my week was fantastic. My week, every week is fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, it's the life of big game Matt. Mm. No, all, all jokes aside. Um Happy to be back. It's been a long time. And uh, as much as I enjoy my radio show, this is just a a different vibe, and I enjoy this. I'm looking forward to it. Jerry, uh, I don't know. I thought we had a good time on the space. I think we leaned into the LSU bit just a bit, uh, but fun. But, you know, hey, we got to mess with Matt. That's that's half the fun. Well, look, Matt Matt, Matt is – when, when he went off on his hiatus, it's like he, he went off to college and he's come back well-educated. You know, he's a, he's a radio host now, big time. You know, he, um, he's got his big boy pants on. So, uh, no, Matt, welcome back, buddy. Glad to have you. And, and look, I am looking forward to your expertise and your analysis now that you get the, uh, the inside scoop. Get to go to the press conferences, get to do cool interviews, get to talk uh, on the radio about, yeah, you get your credentials, dude, we're, we're in the presence of, 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 of a big time local radio celebrity now. So I, I I'm looking forward to getting some, some good knowledge on what Matt hears from the inside on what goes on with uh, not LSU uh, athletics, but raging Cajun athletics. I don't, I don't know if I would go as far as to call me a, a big time local celebrity that that might be a stretch. I'm no Nick Domingue. Well, not yet. But well, it's also Lafayette, bro. Like, <laughs> there's not, there's not a big pool of talent there. Bro. Okay, come on now. I'm no Dan McDonald. And listen to that. Me. You are not. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be hard to recover from. I'm gonna have to edit that out. Uh, <clears throat> but you're working your way. You're working your way up, and you're earning your keep, and you're earning, you're earning your time. So. 
No, seriously though, and in, in all seriousness, Matt, uh, congratulations on on the new gig. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to. Uh, we've I've listened to you a few times already. You do a great job on the radio. It's pretty much your calling. Now we, it's good to see you bring that back here and um, come talk some UL sports with us, man. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate that. And and what's going to make this even better is in let's see, today's the 27th. In 17 days. Your boy gets his diploma. I finally get to call myself a graduate, and I'm going to be done with college forever. And you get your brick, bro. You will be and I get my brick in the quad. That's I'm going to awesome. be I'm going to I'm going to be the fourth Miguez to get a brick at UL. Pretty excited about that. And then I'll get to have all the time in the world. Kid, and they're going to be like, "Hey, can we go find your brick?" And you're going to say, "No," because I don't really want to find it because it takes forever and it's hot outside. Let's talk some sports, boys. Um, obviously Georgia state, good weekend. We kind of talked about it on the space, but I guess we'll give our last few thoughts on it. Still a good win. If you look at how far they've tumbled in the RPI, people are going to look back on this and say, well, you know, that was a turning point for Georgia state. It's probably also a turning point for, for the Cajuns, but, uh, any parting shots on Georgia state? I know I've kind of given a few thoughts, but like to get Matt's thoughts and then Nick and Jerry can follow. No, man. I mean, I I thought that, that they played, a great three games of baseball. Um, you know, Kemple getting the leadoff spot I thought was a little strange, but he delivered. He, he played well all weekend. Uh, I think I, when I looked at the statistics, he went 400 for the weekend with six hits, two homers, and four RBIs. So he had a good weekend at the plate. And, you know, I, I keep going back to that Sunday game. Just the way that you were able – you, you, you had your foot on the gas already, but just the way that you were able to slam your foot through their neck on Sunday and just beat the you-know-what out of them was a great way to end the weekend. That, that gives you a lot of confidence going into a week of no midweek games. So now you have confidence. You're going to be well-rested. And... I mean, like, because like Doug said at the press conference this week, he said this is a team that gets mad when they go too long without practicing. Because what he wanted to do was he wanted to give them Monday and Tuesday off. But he knew that Tuesday they would want to practice. So he said he was going to have to keep them from themselves. So I don't know how much rest of the boys ended up getting this week. Um, I do know that they played a, a full nine-inning game today. So uh, they they did play a, a simulated game today in practice, so they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be ready to go. Yeah, I mean they I agree a hundred percent when you said stepped on their necks. That's I had a, that written down on a, on a page here um, for my comments. But yeah, they they did what we expected them to do throughout the entirety of the season, and we're we're not getting it till the the second half. But again. We've always been a second-half team, it seems like, with a few exceptions, of course. But um, it was good to see us do what we did against a quality opponent and do it three straight games and kick their butts. And we really, I think, probably in the second game, we, we really kicked them down. Like, we made them feel like they couldn't win the series. And then from that point, it was just confidence the rest of the way. So we've got to follow it up next week at App State coming up this weekend. But, yeah. Love what I saw. It kind of, this weekend, like you said, Nick, kind of summed up of what we've been capable of all season. 
we really haven't had a full solid weekend of baseball with consistency all three games all year. Even the game, even the series against Arkansas State where we swept them, we played poorly. I thought on that Sunday, it took their errors to help us win. Now, granted, that's baseball that happens, but sometimes you want to earn your wins. And I thought all three days we earned those wins against good quality competition. Um, you know, the, the Sunday game, you know, adding on to what Matt mentioned about stepping on their necks, you know, we were, we trailed early in the game to nothing. Uh, Jeff Wilson, you know, gave up a few kits. It looked like Georgia state. It seemed like they came out with an attitude of, look, we're not going to get swept at our house and we're going to take this Sunday game. And, you know, being down to nothing early, you're like, oh, geez, here we go. And then he settles in and we respond right away with 14 unanswered runs. Um, and that's something that we haven't seen all season is, 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 the, is to respond like that, especially where you're on the road and sometimes you'll, you will concede the Sunday game. You know, sometimes you'll just say, you know what, it's, it's, it, we won the series, but time to move on. So um, we didn't do that. We took care of business. We swept them, and now we're coming home with a, a decent-looking RPI and a, a nice road, a nice road sweep. And now we're in third place in the conference too. So now the conference race is heating up for us. So yeah, really good, uh, interesting road road games ahead against App State. But looking forward to it. Um, very similar scenario to me uh, as sort of like I guess I guess like Georgia State. They're not as good as Georgia State, but you still have to travel and to get there, and that might take a toll. But at the same time, look, you saw the travel arrangements this past weekend, and look at what they did. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what we can do this weekend and seeing if we can keep this thing going. You know what I laughed at about after this this series was over? I cannot stand Sean Elliott, the co- that head coach for their football team. I think he's a rah-rah, oh, we're so tough because we're tough kind of guy, and he gets up in your face, and his players act like thugs because he does. And so they they had posted on Twitter before the series him giving a pep talk to the baseball team, telling them this is yours, you're gonna take it, you're gonna show them, and you know his typical rah rah stuff. And we stuck it up their butts. So I love uh, I love being Sean Elliott. I just don't like the guy. I did not see that. Thank you yeah, for telling me there. that because I yeah. also don't like him. I think he's full of crap. I, I'm gonna be the guy that that throws a, red, a wet blanket on things because that's that's just what I do. We're eight and two in our last ten, and we—it seems like we're playing better baseball, um, and we're winning games that we. Well, I don't know. I'll go back to ULM. We lost a game we shouldn't have, but again, it's baseball. You can't always expect to sweep, right? But we did expect to sweep at Arkansas State. We did expect to beat McNeese. I think that we, as a group, expected to win the series at Georgia State. I don't think we expected to sweep, obviously, but I'm not—I'm not getting high on my own supply. Not right now. I think that we're playing better ball. Uh, Matt asked the question to Deggs, which was my question. Was this was this one of those moments in the season where you feel like your your tough schedule early on, your out of conference schedule is starting to pay off? Is your team starting to gel? Is your team starting to learn how to win? I thought it was a, a proper question at a proper time. And you know, after I listened to the interview and after I've I've kind of looked back on the schedule, I'm not so sure yet. I think that I think that obviously it's it's still a, a very impressive win. Again, go back and look at Georgia State's prior, I don't know, four or five weeks before they played Georgia Southern. Um, it was some impressive stuff. I mean, the schedule was very impressive. However, you know, we talked about the entry point about the Cajuns going on the road, which hasn't been a strong suit, going in Atlanta, 
where they've played well and, you know, having a tough task, but you're coming off of Georgia Southern. How does a young team that in, in Georgia States, um, from their point of view, they're still learning how to win. So how do they respond from, or how do they rebound from a sweep against an in-state foe? I don't know if they were prepared for what the Cajuns were bringing. And credit to us, obviously, for showing up and playing good ball. But I don't know. I think we still caught Georgia State reeling. It, that's kind of how it felt towards the end of that series. I, one thing that I love about our team in particular is that we always seem to respond. People score in the top of the inning, we're scoring the bottom. If somebody scores in the bottom, we score in the top. It's been a marquee since, really since Matt Dex has been here, we've been able to do that outside of maybe that, that COVID year. But I think that we still have a lot of work to do. And we are looking at, and we'll get into you know our postseason push here later, but I think we're, we're looking at some teams that we should beat, high RPI teams, teams that we know that we have more talent than. Um, I don't know what kind of expectation. Jerry and I were talking about this. Yeah, we probably have, I think it's 12 conference games left, Jerry. Uh, I don't know if you can expect, honestly expect to go 10-2, and two, even though you're better than those teams. Yeah, 15 games left, 12 of them are conference. Right. Dex said, Dex said if, you could, if you could win 10 out of the last 15, you're in good shape. And 10 out of 15, in my, in my view, if you look at the schedule, 10 out of 15 is definitely a possibility. Of course. Um, depending on who those losses come to, I don't think that you can – and at large, to me, if you lose more than one game, maybe more than two games combined against UTA, Little Rock, and Arkansas – or, uh, sorry, App State, if you lose more than two games combined in those series, I think that the RPI takes a huge hit. However, uh, Jay Walker made the comment about the top 100 RPI – where we have a pretty decent record against them. I think it's like 13 and nine or 13 and eight. That is important. But at the same time, you don't know. I mean, look at Georgia Southern, man. They are very high in the RPI right now. If they take a tumble, that's going to, that's going to really impact our RPI and really the rest of the conference. So we're pretty top heavy in that regard. And then you also have a few teams that are hovering right there on that hundred RPI mark, high eighties, low nineties. We have a few of those. So I don't want to hang my hat on that. I think we need to go out and, and just, so stack W's. So you've got the number four non-conference strength of schedule in America. You've got a winning record against Q1 and Q2. You are 20th in overall strength of schedule. And you are now, what, 40th in the RPI? Right. If you, if, if you handle your – if you don't embarrass yourself over the next 15 games – you're getting that large bit. I, I think also too, to add on to that, Matt, I, I think that also depends on how we do in the Sunbelt tournament. You don't want to go two and out in spite of the record because that can affect us as well. That's actually, well, well, that's actually hurt us in the past. Right. But if I, you, now, if you do what you just said and you win one or two games in the tournament and maybe beat a Georgia Southern or a Texas state on the way, in that tournament, now, then yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. Absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now, we're not out of the realm of possibility of winning the regular season title either. It's true. You're, you're you're three games back with 15 left, and three of those games are against the top seeded team. If and if you win the regular season title with the resume that we have this year, it doesn't matter what you do in the conference tournament. You're getting in that large bit. If you're the regular season champ from the fifth best conference in baseball, you're getting that large bit. You are. Yeah, on the you, same you would hope. I would on, hope. On I the mean, same note, Texas State has a pretty light schedule the rest of the way too. 
I mean, they well, got South Alabama uh, maybe this week. I think it's this weekend. Okay, well, so remember. This weekend, and that's going to be tough. And they're reeling. South Alabama has to start winning if they want to even make the conference tournament. I mean, they're staring, missing the tournament in the face. Well, right. remember, Texas State, I think, won. They, they won the regular season back in 2019. And I don't, I don't think they got in. They were one of the first, first four teams out. So that, that's the talking, only thing. We also I, weren't I'm, the number four RPI conference at the time either. So right, you have to right. consider that. Well, it's true. I'm just saying, I, I, I think to me, I'm one of those, like, it's kind of like getting insurance runs. You want some of those insurance wins in the conference tournament. If you can win, because if even if, you, if you're a higher seed, you're going to play somebody like a Little Rock or a UTA in the first round. You don't want to lose to them unless you can come back out of the loser's bracket, especially if you're a bubble team. I do know that in the past, and Nick, you can probably remember this, like 2005, 2006, didn't that, ha- didn't that come back to bite us? I think it was 2006. We had a, RPI was like in the top 15, but we had, I think we had two and out in the, in the tournament or something. And we were, we were out. We didn't get picked. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there. I, I, that's, I seem to remember it, but I think there was a lot of weird stuff happening too, because there yeah. were a lot of upsets in conference tournaments. And, and so they had to take two in conferences that they don't normally, again, as long I just think that we control our destiny, which is important. There's nobody bl- to blame but ourselves if we don't get in. Um, but unless the world falls down around us, I think we're good. Like you said, I will agree with you, though, Jerry. I do think if we drop a couple of games here and there, which which I expect we will through the end of the season, and we beat Texas State two out of three, insurance, you want to get one or two wins in that tournament. And I think we can. I, I'm not worried about about not getting a win in the conference tournament. But again, you can't poo-poo the bed at the end of the season because that's okay, what somebody let, looks at. So let's play a game of hypotheticals, okay? You have 15 games left. You got two against Rice. You got one against Nichols. You have your series with App, UCA, Little Rock, and Texas State. Let's say, hypothetically, you win 10 out of 15. Who are your five losses to? The only way you make the tournament and have five losses is if two of them are for t- to Texas State. Okay, so let's say two of them are to Texas State, and then... You win the series against the other three and sweep one. Well, no, that would be four. So you lose at least one game to each other. But if you lose to a, if you lose a game RPI-wise to a, a 231, like a UTA, that's going to be an absolute killer for RPI-wise. So you're looking at 33-21 and 21 overall, 15-9 and nine in the conference? That's not an at-large bid. Ain't going to happen. See, that's where I mean, that's now that is where you're going to have to win at least one or two games in the tournament to get some insurance. Because remember, if you drop, even if you drop three games against a UTA, a Little Rock, or this weekend, that's not right. That's going to, I mean, even or against Rice, you go one and one against Rice. I mean, they're not good this year. That, that's ironically, Rice might be an RPI killer for us if we drop one of those two uh, midweek games. On a theoretical note, right, say that Texas State wins the league, they're ranked, you know, 15, 16, 17 in the country. They don't win the conference tournament, and it's between you and Georgia Southern. I don't think that they're going to give us two at-large bids because of how stacked the field is in front of us. We just don't have the resume. If Yes, we do have a, a I think Matt said, the number four out-of-conference schedule. Yes, but we are, I think we have one win in in those games, and our Q1 uh, total is not very good. I think we have four wins against Q1. That's not a resume builder. We have a, we have a winning record against Q1. 
I'll say about that being on the bubble. That's one of those situations where you take the round rock series, and I would have loved to have just one win that weekend, man. Just dude, Dex, any of those games, games. dude. That Arkansas Dex, game, we had it. That's crazy. Dex, Dex said it himself. To correct the record, real quick, Louisiana is three and six against Quadrant One teams. Okay, that's according to who? That's according to Warren Nolan. Okay, because Deggs said in the press conference on Monday that we had a winning record against Q1 and Q2. Well, Deggs manages like he interviews then. Seat of his pants, baby. But no, real quick, real quick. Give a league update while we're on the topic. Right now, Texas State in the league has a 15-3 and record. They're 32-10 and overall. They have an RPI of 43. They're 9-1 and in their last 10. Georgia Southern, 14-4, and 28-13 and overall. Uh, 14 and 4 in conference, 28 and 13 overall. They have an RPI of three right now. They're eight and two in their last 10. Keep in mind they look at that last 10, too, by the way. Louisiana is 12 and 6. We are, let's see, yeah, 12 and 6 in the conference. We're 23 and 16 overall, and we're at a, a number 40 RPI. Our Q1 wins, three and six. I didn't say the others. Georgia Southern is seven and ten. They've played 17 games against a quadrant one school. And Texas State is four and five. Um, Coastal playing much better baseball lately, seven and three in their last ten. They're eleven six and one in the league, twenty three and fourteen overall. They have an RPI of sixty five with a couple of very important series coming up, and they're five and six against Q one. You know, there's not really anybody close um, as far as Q one wins. Uh, I tell you what, Troy is six and three against Quadrant one teams, which includes the Cajuns. So. You know, that sweep is still looming large. I knew it would. Uh, Troy's an 89 RPI, and they're 25 and 14 overall, 10 and 8 in the league. There's still a whole lot to be figured out right now. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams still in the RPI top 100. And the Sun Belt is number six, uh, excuse me, number five in the conference RPI right now. So that's what we have to deal with. Uh, we There's still a long, a long road to go, and there's still some pretty big barriers, but. As far as the nitty-gritty sheet, and I have it on the rundown for us to go and start digging into the Cajuns RPI uh, sheet, which we used to call the nitty-gritty sheet. I don't know why they changed that. But we can start talking about the Q2s and Q1s that we, we've dropped games and given away games. I mean, it's, it's looming large right now. Okay, so let me ask you this. D1 Baseball has currently, as of today, their their latest field of 64. They're saying that the Sun Belt is a three-bid league. Yeah, I don't see that. I, I, I thought that we had the opportunity. Uh, I just I, I don't see how you keep out other teams that have better records against Quadrant 1 schools. Well, I mean, D1, time and time again, has been the, the source for this. They've got Texas State as a three seed. They've got us as a three seed. And they've got Georgia Southern hosting. But, Josh, it, it, a lot comes down to, like, what you said, the last 10. The no committee doubt. looks a, a heavy at how you finish a season. And so that's why it's so big, these next, like you said, 15 games that we make a statement. Um, but then uh, then again, you look back, we haven't lost a weekend series since since Troy. So if we win every series going forward, I think we're in really good shape. I really do. Now, I think you're right about that. If we win every series going forward, I, I agree with you, especially Texas State, huge. And hopefully they continue to play great baseball because we're going to need them to continue their stellar performance throughout the season. I mean, we need that high RPI conference win. We, we, we need it. 
Um, and we just got to beat the hell out of everybody else. Rice, you can't lose to Rice. You can't lose to UTA. I mean, you got to sweep that series, Jerry. You do. I, I don't true. see how you lose one of those and still be okay. As, from an RPI stand, okay, I understand, like, maybe we get hot later than that and, like, go run through the tournament, maybe losing the championship game. That's a different story. There's still a lot of stories to be told about how we can or maybe won't make the play the uh, the uh, dance. I'll, I'll just say this. I'll say this. I would be there. There are, like you said, there are still a lot of different things that can play out. Still a lot of different things that can happen. I don't see many scenarios where we miss out. So you think it's more likely that we get the at-large bid than than we yes. don't get the bid? Yes. Yeah, I'm on the other side of that. Yeah, I'm with you, Josh. I just I I feel like I feel like we have we have opportunities to to not get it. But if we t- again we take care of business, we're not having this conversation. But well, again, I still think we have a lot to prove. I don't think it's a gimme at this fair, point. Fair to call it an outside Look, chance. Yes. Yeah, I think I think an outside chance is definitely fair. I, I to say that it would be hard to not get at large bid right now with the with the schedule coming up with some RPI killers. You're gonna have to. I mean, look, Deg says ten out of fifteen. I'm. I think that's generous. I say eleven or twelve out of fifteen. Why not sweep this weekend? Sweep UTA. Make sure there's no leave no doubt. Um, and then go into the tournament, win a few games, try to at least get to the semis, at least, at a minimum. Then you have a shot at, at an at-large at that point, I think. Well, there's a lot to be said from here to there. So I'm just glad that we're talking about it. Feels good. Feels like uh, old times. You know what I mean? It's good to just be excited about the, the opportunity to play in, in postseason baseball. Man, a few weeks ago, we were I was worried that we wouldn't even make the, the conference tournament. <laughs> I mean, and it was a real possibility. Yeah, I know. I know. Georgia State really changes a whole lot of stuff. Um, and, man, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see what they do for their next conference series. Do you guys know what it is? I guess I can check it real quick. But, man, how do you go from, I think they started 10-2 and two in the league. You, you start 10-2 and two and then you lose... The next six? Oh, my God. At home. Uh, look, I'm pulling for them the rest of the way because we need to get get them somehow back in Q1, right? So they've got, I hope they they've win got, anything. They've got Troy this weekend. Oh, another team that's starting to scrap to get to the top of the – back to the top of the league. So at that's going to be one hell of an, uh, an interesting series, man. Wow. Are you at Troy's? You said at, it's at Troy. Troy. Oh yeah. And last night they they were on the road at Georgia and Athens and they lost 16 to 1. Yep. Oh man. So that means they've lost the past 6 uh they've lost let's see 7 out of the last 8. 7 oh, out of the last since, 8. Since their since their win over Georgia Tech, they have lost 7 of the last 8. Nice pep talk, Sean Elliott. <laughs> Sean Elliott broke Georgia State baseball. May this epitaph read. That's that's just like just like he broke his nose before a game last year. Yeah, that guy's got a couple of screws loose. Sorry to our friends at the Thursday podcast. And what's the other one? State of Atlanta. They do a good job. Matt, your your interview with Deggs. I know I kind of made a joke earlier, but curious. So I, I had a couple of comments about his uh, answers to a few things. It sounded like his inserting Kimple into the top of the lineup was kind of a feel thing. He didn't really sound like he because you asked him to talk you through the process and he, he really didn't give much of an answer, but it sounded like a, a feel decision turned out to work, obviously, kind of like you said, you mentioned the stats. 
did did he kind of intimate anything to you in the interview that would have said otherwise? I know that uh, the other funny thing was that he said that he asked who we wanted at second base and we spoke and he put Rinconis and that was a, a good move. I thought that was very interesting. Well, that was so that was a press conference story. I had asked him a question at a press conference, not this past Monday, but the Monday before, uh, the day after Easter. And um, I had asked him if he was going to keep doing second base by committee, you know, swapping out Lidde and Rinconis, or if he had settled on one with a month left in the season. And he straight up looks at me and goes, I don't know what you think. I was like, huh? Like, why, why are you asking me? Some no-name, like, I'm – no, don't ask me that question. He goes, no, man, who, who are you picking? And I said, you know why he did I'm that, not... right? You know why he did that. Because he didn't know either, is what you're about to say. No, I was going to say he listened to the podcast. <laughs> oh, well. And and so I was like, Coach, I don't know if I want to answer that. He's like, come on, man, what, what would you do? I said, Coach, I really I, I don't want to. He said, go ahead, do it. And so I said, okay, I mean, I'd, I'd probably pick Rinconis. And he looks at me, he goes, really? Why? I said, you have plenty of bats in the lineup already, and I think he's the better defender. He goes, yeah, I agree with you. I think he is the better defender. Well, it's and hard so, not to agree. <laughs> so he plays he plays Rinconis, and it works out. And so in, in the press conference again, he, he talks about Rinconis, and he looks over at me. He goes, I took your advice. It worked out. Good move. <laughs> just just thought it was ass. the funniest thing. Um, yeah, we so, yeah, that's – we got to get some some kind of a costume fabricated so that I can dress up as you and go into those damn things. I'd be like, what are you talking about, dude? Settle on a second baseman. The guy is fielding like 988. And he hits. And when, and, and, and when I get fired, you're going to take over paying my salary. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, no um, I, I, thought, I thought it was a couple of interesting comments. And then, you know, he, so, he, he outright told you that he thought that he could win the LSU game offensively, which I thought was very interesting as well because uh, Ty Floyd just cut him up, cut him up for, yeah. for four yeah. innings. Ty's I think what he, he ended up throwing, was it four eight, or five innings? Four, five innings, eight strikeouts. But, you know, you, you talked about me talking with Degs about Kimple and the lineup being kind of like a gut feeling. He alluded to that in the press conference also. He said that he had three different lineup cards written. And he didn't know which one he wanted to go with. Oh my god! Nick, this is what I said last week. Until this is exactly 15, what I predicted. He, he he said he said he had he had a lineup card. He he had the lineup from Saturday, just rewritten on the same lineup card. And then he said he had another one where it was back to the shock tr Debo, like the the old lineup, and he. He tried so – his mind was trying so hard to make him go back to the original, but his gut said, no, stick with it. And so about half an hour before first pitch was when he finally decided what the lineup was going to be. That's scary, Josh. <laughs> I, I literally – so I told – I don't know if you listened to the last uh, full episode, but I said that it was similar to how my T-ball daughter's coach does the lineup. They just have these cards that they clip to the fence, and they switch them in and out. Um, wow. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. No, um, I, I, you know, today I can't really be critical because I thought it was probably the most complete weekend that we've played in, in maybe the Degs era. I thought UCI was a pretty complete weekend as well. 
and, and even Southern Miss was a pretty complete weekend. We just we just didn't make the big pitch when we needed to on Sunday. And, and also with Southern Miss, I mean, how much crap can you talk? They're currently sitting at number four in America. Well, you know, the, the bottom line is so, I mean, an opportunity to win the game. So, I, you know, uh, I can't say much. I, I even said after the game, credit to him. You know, you asked a really good question in in or when you asked him, did you guys throttle back at all? Did you make any changes to the lineup or uh, I'm sorry, to the scheme when uh, we were running the bases? And he said um, because of the ballpark, you know, we we did maybe uh, play a little bit more conservative. He didn't use the word conservative, but he basically said that. Uh, I think that it was it, it's a credit to how in tune we are with the team where we can notice things like that and actually ask the question because he basically said without saying, yeah, we, we did kind of throttle back. Now, I know he mentioned a few base running mistakes, but that's going to happen. He even said, you know, I, I don't mind extinguishing guys. He used the word extinguishing, which was weird, but he, he doesn't mind extinguishing guys um, because of the aggressive nature of, of baseball that they play. But there's no way you can watch that series and not think to yourself, we had less, we had fewer careless base running mistakes this weekend than I can't tell you the last time. Yeah, and you know he he alluded to that. You know it was just one of those things where I think he he didn't exactly say this, but I think it was a mixture of both. You know he they laid they might have laid off the throttle a little bit, but personally I I think just the situations that we were in in games this weekend made it to where, you know, our base runners could be a little more relaxed, could be a little more, you know, methodical with their decision-making rather than, you know, it's a tight game. I got to, I got to move. I got to move over and get myself in scoring position. They didn't necessarily have to do that this past weekend, which I I think is a big factor that, that people really aren't talking about. Nick, did you see that? Jerry, you see guys, you guys feel like we didn't really run ourselves out of innings. I know you guys were upset about the miss bunt and there were a few other things, but uh, overall, did you get that feeling? No, the execution was much better this weekend. Um, I think Jake Wells probably got a, got a little bit of crap for, uh, for sending guys he shouldn't have. So I think that's really, that was the really that's, we limited ourselves um, to, to those couple of, of base running errors, but no, I think, look, if, if we're, if we're ahead, you know, four or five runs and we're taking chances and we're missing, that's one thing. Um, but I think the thing that drove us crazier earlier in the season was we're down by three and we're, we're, you know, we're getting caught between first and second for no reason. Like there's no reason we should be getting picked off. Um, we shouldn't have that big of a lead. So I think that's what, that's what we saw earlier in the season. And hopefully that's a sign of things to come that we've matured enough to limit those types of mistakes. But yeah, no, this weekend was definitely an improvement in that, in that regard. Yeah. I think one thing that stood out to me was, was the Friday night game. We went down, I think it was uh what was it? We were down four to three and then we ended up, you know, tying it up and then Kemp hit that home run in the top of the ninth to, to, for the go ahead. And, and we were able to hold on, but you know, it, yeah, I, I think like Nick said, you know, we're not, <laughs> sometimes we do, we did some gutsy things. We got called out at home once or twice, you know, that, that, <laughs> that attempted squeeze. But outside of that, we really didn't, we really didn't put ourselves in any kind of predicaments. Um, and that's always been kind of our, our detriment at times where we're a little too aggressive on the base running. We're a little too aggressive um, swinging the bat, you know, trying a little too much, trying to do too much. I think this week, 
you know, they, they, the players kind of, it felt like they kind of got into a groove to where they trusted their teammate. They trusted one another. Um, and you had mentioned this the other night, Josh, but when you have guys in the bottom of the lineup that are hitting the ball, that are complementing the first four, um, that, that makes the biggest difference. And that's what I saw this weekend. Uh, anytime you have your one through nine just hitting at will, uh, it, it, it allows you to settle down. So that's what I'm hoping for moving forward is consistency with like the five through nine hole. If they can start hitting on that end and start getting on base and being, a, and, and, and being disciplined, but all, you know, the thing about Deggs is when it comes to hitting, he's aggressive, but there's a discipline to it. When you're, when you're aggressive and disciplined with that, you really become unstoppable. And that's kind of what happened on Sunday. You saw the same thing against Houston in game three when we put, I think we hung, what, 10 runs on them. You know, we were just, we were patient with the pitches, but we were taking what the pitchers gave to us. We weren't trying to hit it over the fence every time. We were putting the ball in play, but we were getting on base. I think a prime example, I want to give a shout out, Max Marshak. He's fast. He's athletic. We've seen he's got some power, but he's, him and Rock, like, and Rock goes the same way they don't necessarily mash every single time they go up to the plate. They put the ball in play based on what the pitcher gives them and they get on base. That's what we need from this. That's what we need from this lineup going forward. And protect Rocco. And we got to protect Rocco. That's that's imperative. We hadn't done. We got to protect the dude. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think that uh, his numbers are good on, on, on their own, but if you really stop and think about the lack of consistency, uh, with with exception of maybe one or two other guys, you know, Kemp is a streaky hitter, but he's been pretty consistent this year, probably his most consistent year. When you stop and think about how he's kind of done it on his own a lot of times, it, it makes those numbers even more impressive. So protecting Rock has got to be at the top of, of the heap for Deggs. Speaking of Deggs, Kendall Rogers had a column this week, and he talked about how, well, he made, a, he made some comments about Deggs in particular in Louisiana as, as a club. And I'm going to quote him, and and then we can kind of react to it. This is from Kendall Rogers' column. It says, I saw the Cajuns earlier this season, and it's safe to say they were unimpressive. Well, the Cajuns, who have plenty of talent and upside, something we have argued many times, are playing more like the team I thought they'd be coming into the season. UL has won five straight conference series, including a series win over Georgia Southern, and has an RPI of 42. When he wrote this, it was 42. Obviously, tonight it's 40. Uh, including 13 wins over RPI top 100 teams, which is obviously a big part of the formula, right? The Cajuns are trending up, uh, trending upward at the right time. Okay, we've we've kind of covered a lot of this, but you know, Kendall Rogers is kind of becoming like the Peter Gammons of the college game, and he has a, he has a lot of clout, and when he speaks, people listen. Um, I found the comments to be very very he's he's correct; they're very accurate. But, but it also kind of echoes, there's some sentiment that we've been talking about throughout the, this season and last season about how our talent level is fine. The talent on this team can win games. We feel like we've underperformed in certain areas over the last couple of years. I kind of get that out of Kendall with this comment. And he's basically saying, for me, the Cajuns kind of underachieved, and now they're starting to look like the team I expected them to be with this talent and this coach. When you guys read that comment, do you feel the same way? Uh, and if not, what do you take away from, from Kendall right there? 
definitely. Um, look, the Lakers have a lot of talent, but they couldn't get into the playoffs. It's the same thing. You can have a lot of talent on the team, but if you don't have the right the right mix and 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 proper coaching, then yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna play up to your potential. So I I do agree that he is he's definitely seen what we saw and we've been saying since the beginning of the season. We knew we were a good team. He said it. I think he was on this pod before the season started. He said, we have a good team. You guys are, they're a regional team, but we, we didn't put it together. Hopefully we're putting it together. Hopefully it started at, at, at Georgia state. So yeah, I, that's what I got from it. That's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's exactly what, what he was, what he was implying. And that's exactly what I think most of the fans will agree with is that, yeah, we are capable. I mean, before the season started, even Dex said we're a regional team. And when, you know, before the South Alabama series, we're sitting with a nine and 11 record. We're all kind of going, well, what is, where's this regional team at? Well, look at what we've done since then. We've been 14 and five. We're in third place in the conference. We have a chance to make a, a, another run with the schedule coming up. We just got a sweep against a really good Georgia state team on the road. I mean, you know, I mean, look, we've won series against some really quality competition. So the capabilities there, but you just got to be able to execute. And I think what we saw this past weekend is exactly that is, we have the talent. We have the team. We do have enough moxie in our system to be able to make a run. But, you know, you can have all the talent in the world. If you can't execute, it doesn't matter. And so I think Kendall's right. It's exactly what I was thinking. You know, hey, we've got – we look great on paper, but we're losing games. We're dropping games we're not supposed to. But then as of late, we're turning it on at the right time because our capabilities are starting to show. We're starting to see the talent that we knew we had all along. So now it's just a matter of just keeping it going. Just keep it going. If you keep it going, we'll be fine. Let me be more direct with the question because the question to me is, do you read that comment and get Deggs has done a great job of rounding out this team that wasn't ready to win into winners? Or do you get they've got plenty of talent and they should be further ahead than where they are, but they're coming around? That's more of the question. The question for me is not if we have the capability or the talent. Obviously, we know we, we, we've been talking about that all season. The question for me is that what do you think Kendall's intentions were with that comment? I think the way I can describe it, and, and look, maybe Kendall's, maybe Kendall's analysis is completely different from what I'm saying. It's pretty simple. I think it's just one of those situations where we knew going into the season that we were capable, and we – we struggled to show it. We struggled to show it. And finally, barring some breaks, barring some games where we're starting to click, that capability is finally starting to show. It just took us a little bit later in the season to do that. I think that's kind of what I'm translating. Yeah, from I that. don't think it was a hit at, at Deggs. I didn't, but I didn't read into it that much. I just kind of read it for, for what it was worth. So I agree with you, Jerry. Look, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I don't know that if it was a hit at Deggs, but I, I do think that he was saying that it took us a little too long to get going. I do I do see that part of the comment. But one one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about since that Troy series, Cajuns are fourteen and five. So here's here's the other detail of, of that fourteen and five stretch. You know who came back game one of that nineteen game stretch? Max Marshak. Marshak. I love Rocco. Rocco is the best hitter we have. Max Marshak is the best player on this team. 
Max Marshak makes everybody else go. He is that guy. This team did a complete 180 the day Max Marshak stepped back in the lineup. I firmly believe that. Yeah, well, we talked about that earlier in the season and said, hey, this team, we need Max back now. And I think the first game, like you said, the first game back, it was like a totally different team. So totally agree with you, Matt, that that he was a big part of our success. I agree with you that Max Marshak is, is, is probably our most impactful player. I'll say that. You know, what's like I've, I mentioned earlier, the thing about Marshak is, again, he's just one of those type of players. He takes what you give him. First of all, he's one of the fastest baseball players I've seen in a Cajun uniform. So he can do just about he, – he's kind of a – a prototypical Dex player. You want him to bunt, he'll bunt. You want him to get a ground ball, he'll get a ground ball. You want him to hit it out and hit the scoreboard, he'll hit it out and hit the scoreboard. But he doesn't force anything. And I think his presence in the outfield as well, um, I mean, th- the, that play he made against ULM, the the aggressiveness to to field, um, it, it just it's just he's just that all-around player that I think a lot of players feed off of. And you see the difference. You see, you've seen a, a to your point, Matt. You've seen a step up in intensity with everybody else since he's been back in the roster. It felt like something was kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it felt like with him not being on the roster, something was off about the rest of the team. And on top of that, we keep talking about protecting Rocco. Well, you can protect him with Marshak. Um, and now Kimple's starting to hit. You know, now Keith Hood's starting to hit. Now Julian Brock's starting to hit. And now they're all kind of starting to gel together and they're all bringing out their strong points. So no, I think that that sort of that, that fuse that was lit was when you're right, Matt was when Marshawn came back, you saw a difference in intensity with this team when he returned. And I mean, look, the record speaks for itself. You're 14 and five since his return. Yeah. I don't know if I would say that max protects rock because max is an on-base guy. Uh, but I see what you're saying. If, if you're going to have rock up in a big spot and you have, Ducks on the pond, that makes him more dangerous, and you have to pitch to him even more. So I think he compliments him. Compliments is a great yeah. way to say it. That's a, yeah. yeah, I think I should have said it that way. That, that's I mean, a either way. way. Your, your yeah. point is well taken. I mean, yeah. Max makes the offense so much better. Put it put it in perspective this way. You know, you got a 23 and 16 record. Before that South Alabama game, when Max first returned, you're sitting at nine and eleven. That team's halfway to hell. That team also played a grueling schedule. Well, uh, agreed. But, I mean, God, 9-11 entering conference play, just coming off of a three-game sweep to open conference play. Well, I do think going into that, like, for example, the the two losses to Southern Miss, if Marshawk plays, in my opinion, I think we, it, we, we well, at least win one of those. So, yeah, safe to say that Max is definitely our spark plug. He's got to be in the lineup for us to be at, at our peak. That's – I mean, that's not debatable at this point anymore. Uh, let's move on to more national stuff. You know, I mentioned the thing about being uh, more in a national landscape for this next topic. So Kendall Rogers comes on uh, his Twitter account, and he basically retweets this announcement from the NCAA. Something called the transform- the Transformation Committee is considering wholesale changes that would make the NCAA's post-Mark Emmert era a, complete, a completely different experience. Okay. Yeah, well, it's an article from Ross Dellinger. Obviously, and shout out to SI. They've been, some of their content lately has been outstanding. And, you know, we, SI went through a, a pretty big, a big slump where people were just jumping ship. 
Um, they were losing badly to the athletic, but they've really come around and Dellinger is an excellent writer, excellent journalist. First thing you hear when you think of sweeping changes is, Oh, how's that going to affect conference realignment? How's it going to affect football? But for baseball, people like us, stitch heads like us, we always want to know how's it going to affect baseball? Because look, let's, let's face it. UL is a football baseball school and some would even argue it's a baseball football school. So uh, we we obviously pay attention when Kendall tweets out something about sweeping changes in the NCAA. It's going to be about baseball if he's talking about it. So the number the, the the top three most important things that matter to us as baseball fans and collegiate baseball fans is you know eliminating scholarship caps is that is huge. I mean, look right now you have thirty five roster spots. That's up from twenty seven as of a few years ago. All right, and 11.7 of those players can be on scholarship. They're not proposing unlimited scholarship athletes on the team. They're just, uh, you know, according to this article, they're going to possibly allow all 35 baseball players to be on scholarship, which would be a huge change. Um, abolishing the limitation on the number of coaches per team. Also, you know, obviously a big deal right now. You have three paid coaches with two assistants. You know, who knows, uh, you know, <laughs> your bigger programs. And this is the issue. And we'll get into this is this is the question I'm about to pose. The P5 are going to be able to afford anything. Your LSUs are going to probably have 15 guys on staff with 30 analysts for baseball, which is funny now, but it probably is a, a reality that's coming. Um, but for schools like us who have the resources and have the exposure and have the ability to fundraise and have the reputation, I mean that can be a, that can be a big thing for us, you know, if if the league votes these things in, and that's the third thing uh, that was important to me was that it's going to ultimately be left up to uh, the baseball playing conferences. So if you want to go ahead and adopt these changes, you're going to vote on it as a conference. We can talk about the Sun Belt not wanting to vote it in, or maybe wanting to vote it in. That's another conversation we can have, but that's definitely something that's important. You know, there there are other things like, you know, they want to expand direct payments from schools to athletes. I, I think that that's another slippery slope that is oh, another podcast all in all together. Uh, but but the recruiting, the way they want to change recruiting and implementing closed periods in the NCAA transfer portal, that'll be huge. You know, uh, the dead period changes. They're going to go from like 15 different dead periods to only one open and one closed. You know, a lot of this stuff is very fluid, but some of these ADs in the G5 seem to think that this is coming and there's really nothing they can do about it. He's got, Ross has got a, a G5 AD in here and his answer was, every G5, this is a quote, quote, every G5 AD is like, holy shit. That's from, that's from a G5 AD on the record. Obviously, he's anonymous. But, you know, that transformation committee is chaired by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, if... <laughs> Follow the money, I guess is what people would say, but the rich get richer, right? And the SEC is a, a great example of that. Look at the football league, look at their baseball league. Their basketball league is not necessarily one of the power brokers, but I mean, they still have Kentucky, one of the biggest fan bases in the country. Uh, and, and they have other big programs in, in that uh, basketball wise in that conference. So you got a, you got a transformation committee headed by the SEC commissioner pushing for unlimited scholarships and more direct payments to athletes and, you know, it's hard to stomach. It, it kind of feels like amateurism is already gone, and this further pushes the boulder off the cliff. You can go a lot of different ways with that. I guess at the end of this soliloquy, 
I'm going to ask you guys, do you feel like it's beneficial for a Cajun baseball program? Do you think that the B5 just ultimately eats up a program like the Cajuns, even with the history and the resources? How, how do you guys feel about this this article, and, and where do you see it going? So uh, I've, I've got two parts. One, I'm going to add on to what you were saying. Um, I read a, a second article about some – what's the word I'm looking for amendments, I guess I would say that the NCAA has already discussed. So Ross Dellinger's article, which is phenomenal mentions the transformation committee talking about zero cap on scholarships. What I have seen since then is that the NCAA is proposing 20 baseball scholarships for everybody. So it'd go from 11.7 to 20, which is a massive jump. Um, I've also seen that there would be a third full-time or fourth full-time paid assistant, uh, which is another thing that, you know, we have been asking for for years now. Now, Matt, are they saying um, that that's going to be across the board or are they still going to leave it in the hands of the league? Because, look, it's important. Uh, the AAC or the ACC is going to say, absolutely, yeah, we, we agree. Big 12, they're going to say yes. SEC going to say yes. Leagues like the Sun Belt, who – Historically, a really good league. Look at this year, number five conference in the country. Good league. Resource, you know, our resources are no, nothing near an SEC, a Big Twelve, and ACC. Do do these the bottom the bottom programs in the Sun Belt Conference, the teams that don't even want to stream their games so that we can watch them this weekend. Won't say any names. Um, are they going to go ahead and pick their level of commitment up to baseball? in order to vote these type of changes in? Because at the end of the day, it's going to cost people a lot of money. Well, that that I think that's the slippery slope that the NCAA is still trying to work through. Um, because from what I can see, this conversation has been going on for quite a while. This is not a, you know, in the dark, just came out of nowhere kind of thing. Um now, like like you said, that's an interesting point. Are they going to leave it up to the conference, or is that going to be across the board? From what I can see, from what I've read, I feel like it's going to be across the board. Um, but an, another thing that that I noticed from the article that, that's going to be interesting is the transfer portal only being open three months out of the year. That's going to murder G5 programs. Because what's going to happen is you're going to spend nine months building your program around these kids that you have. And then for that three-month period, they could, they're could they going to get recruited by bigger schools and pack up and roll out. And then what are you left with? I don't know. I actually, I actually have a different opinion. I think that because – some of these kids in the recruiting process, you know how it is. They get recruited as juniors and seniors, and they get recruited by a program like ours. And then all of a sudden, for, for I don't know, a month before they have to commit, these P5 programs swoop in and say, hey, we'll give you a gray, short, a gray shirt, or you know, just hang tight. We might give you an offer. We might have a spot for you. I think that, and this, we're talking about transfer, but here's the thing. Once you go through a, a, a recruiting process with a school like ours and you have that commitment, you're going to have 90 days to decide. It ain't going to be this long, drawn-out process where, and look, they better, they really need to crack down on tampering. That's really a big thing that I think needs to be addressed. But if you only have contact with a certain school for, 
less than three months, three months, whatever, and they're trying to recruit you from what you already know, I think that that is an advantage for smaller schools because this unlimited transfer portal window, I mean, these guys could be, you know, on the hook for six, seven, eight months in between schools. I think it actually helps us. Now, that's just one man's opinion. I don't know how it actually is going to be in reality. But I think I think that having some regulation is inevitable because right now it's a wild, wild west. I think that 90 days to make a decision is a lot harder on a young man or a young man's family or whatever the case may be uh, than just unlimited amount of time. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, Josh, I didn't agree with you on that. Um, I, I'm just glad that there's some sort of structure being put around something at this point because, it's, like you said, it's wild west. I... I'm also interested, and I know people have brought this up when NIL started recently, but like, that's really the wild, wild west. What's going to happen there? Um, so, so it's good to see that they're putting structure around the transfer portal. Hopefully, that translates it to NIL. But do I see do I see the um, the article today as a negative or a positive? I don't know. I some of these reactions. Yeah, as it. As it relates to us in a program like ours, yeah, some do you of think it, it ultimately helps or hurts? I don't know. I mean, it's it, my knee-jerk reaction when I first read it was, holy crap, okay, that, that could be really good or that can be really bad. Like, I, I, I didn't really have a decision. But but as you said, when they came out with, with 20 as a limit, okay, that I can see. I But I, I don't see the NCAA going and saying you have to decide by conference. I, I think that would be way out of bounds. And and that I, I just I can't imagine that they would put that limit on certain conferences and not others. But again, we're in a new era of the NCAA where they really yield little power, and those in, those in power now are with the SEC on that committee. So it wouldn't surprise me, but I just don't think it'll happen. I think it it that will some be something that is equitable among all Division One. I. I don't know. I think if I think if it's across the board, I think definitely all for the paid assistant. And then if it's across the board, then yes, I am a hundred percent supportive of increasing the scholarships. Um, I I don't think it'll be a disadvantage because again, you can have thirty five guys fully paid on a team, and and there are going to be guys still riding the bench and not happy that they're riding the bench and have an opportunity somewhere else. So um, as long as it's across the board, I, I think we'll be fine. Jerry, I want you to weigh in, but real quick, to Nick's point, I think the reason why they're ultimately giving the conferences the power to decide is because you see this new NCAA version of its governing body decentralizing power. Every time they make a ruling or every time they lose a Supreme Court ruling like they just did a few weeks ago or a couple months ago now, every time that happens, they have less power, but they also have less liability. And it's decentralizing more and more and getting more watered down. And I think the NCAA is basically just a figurehead of, of authority. I, I mean, I think at the end of all this legislation and all this change and all this NIL change and stuff, what is the NCAA really wielding? There's really no power left in it. So I think that I think that by default, the conference offices are getting more powerful, whether that's a good or a bad thing. I don't really know. Obviously, I don't want to look over at the SEC and have them leading us around by the nose. Uh, but I, I think that ultimately it could work. It, well, I don't know if it'll work, but it'll happen. It could happen because of the way the model of the NCAA governing body is starting to trend. Go ahead, Jerry. 
Well, I think one thing I've learned over the transfer portal is regardless of how many scholarships you have, regardless of the resources you get, a player is going to leave if they feel like it. I mean, even the bigger schools, uh, I mean, you look at Oklahoma last year, uh, their, their, their star quarterback, you look at, I mean, you, you look at other places around the P5 and you see on a, on a fly, players just leave. Um, I, I don't know if this will help that. Um, I don't know. I just think right now there's so many changes abroad or so many changes afoot that really I, I couldn't give you a right answer or an answer on which direction this is going to go. I think you are right that the NCAA is decentralizing, which is giving more power to the conferences. Um, but I do think now the conferences, including the Sun Belt, including mid-major conferences, are going to have to step up and try to find a way to compete with that. How that happens, I don't know. But um, to be honest with you, man, it's so – like I said, the portal is such a – it's so all over the place that in spite of what they do with these scholarships and, and upping the – or what is it? They're making it unlimited, right? I mean, I, I guess it, it's – it's really hard to tell because like Nick said, you know, you get a scholarship, you're not happy. You're going to leave anyway. So I, what is it going to do in five to 10 years? I really couldn't tell you. I guess I, the NCAA is all, it's so the NCAA is everything is so subjective now with their, with what they're looking to do in their proposals that I don't think anybody knows. I mean, the more they, the more they try to propose, the more you're just kind of looking at it going, what, what's the end game here? What's the end game? So, you know, I, reading the article, I just, what do I see this in five years? Is it good? Is it bad? I, I really, I mean, I'm just, I'm not afraid to say it. I don't know. I think what worries me the most though, Jerry, is what happens if our, our programs, the majority says, nah, we don't want, you know, you have the choice. We don't want it. What do we do then? Because it's not like, we just go out and say, okay, we'll go to a different conference. You got to be invited, right? You die. So, that's what happens. Yeah. 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 That's what's the scary part. And that's, that's what's scary because we've associated ourselves with these schools. And now we've got to live by our decision for the next, you know, 10 years, maybe. And again, to your point, we got, we're going to app and they refuse to air games this weekend. They, they, they met the minimum. I mean, what does that tell you about their commitment to baseball? Are they going to step well, in? Well, I don't think so. They've got all their eggs in, in football, and that's it. They're good. They did what they had to do. Well, let's say, okay, um, let's say we, we're talking about, like, we talk about the umpiring crew, right? Three, four-man crew. You know, obviously, as Cajun fans, we're going to be a lot more passionate about finding an extra umpire than, say, a school like App State because they don't care. So if if – you know, obviously everybody has to pay their share to get the extra umpire. Well, a South Alabama and a UL are going to be a lot more adamant on it than say, I don't know, an Arkansas state and an app state to do that. In That's other words, problem. everybody, That's the everybody problem. needs That's... to, everybody needs to be on the same page here. And, and, and I don't, I'm not saying that just for the protection of as what we want as fans to protect the sport, but really to protect your conference to bring in a sense of um, you, 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 the conferences, the schools need to be on the same page regardless. And I'm using the umpire thing as an example, but if you want to compete on the bigger stage with these changes, 
the conference itself has to be on the same page amongst its members. And like you said, Nick, if you can't get, if you can't agree to stream games because you don't care about the sport compared to other schools, that's going to cause a little bit of chaos. It's little things like that that add up to the chaos of why it's going to be harder to compete with other conferences to be able to adjust and, and, ac- and, 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 and really acclimate to these changes. I would say the only thing that, that we might have an advantage for in that situation would be tops, right? I think that in Louisiana, yeah, in sure. Louisiana, that's probably the only, the only thing that we can do to kind of, if, if we go down that path, because again, ULM, they tops for them would cover some of that. So they're, do they have the money to, to fund 35 scholar? Probably not. Right. Well, we'll take cost of attendance, right? Yep. We have full cost of attendance. Now, it's not cheap, right, to be able to have that, but our cost of attendance is equivalent to a lot of the P5s. But not everybody in the conference has that luxury like we do. You look at, and look, I know we make fun of them. I know we like to laugh at them, but that was one of the biggest things on that school vote or that, that student body vote at Louisiana Tech was to up the cost of attendance. Their budget, I think they're the smallest budget in CUSA, they only have, I want to say, I think the proposal was that they only had like four sports that pay like half co- half the cost of attendance. I don't even know if they have a sport that pays the full cost of attendance over there. But that's an example of many, many mid-majors that are dealing with that problem to be able to recruit athletes and to compete with the big, with the big schools. Luckily for us, we have that right now. Now, but again, if you want to compete in the broader scope of things, you have to have other schools try to join in on that. Unfortunately, sometimes the lack of resources can affect that. So, and I'm kind of going off a little bit off on a tangent here, but my point is we kind of have to, I guess as a conference, as a whole, we have to be on the same page to be able to adjust to these new proposals that the NCAA is putting up. Because like you said, Josh, when you decentralize power, the conferences kind of create their sense of uh, governing. I mean, they really do. And so it's going to be, and look, we've, we've leveraged ourselves with these new schools coming in. Look, the Sunbelt, Look, we came out smelling pretty – we smell like a rose with these four schools coming in as a mid-major. But if you want to compete on a national stage, that's where that's where I think I'm, I'm – that's where I don't know. I, I don't well, know. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. I think getting rid of Little Rock and UTA and bringing in a Southern Miss and an ODU and a JMU, schools that have financial commitment and care about baseball and equivalency sports, all of that, that's going to help us. I think ultimately we're going to end up with the votes because we have enough committed – um, athletic departments and athletic directors that have vision. I think that we'll ultimately be okay, but I don't know about the, the, you know, the MVC. I don't know about the whack. I don't know about, you know, some of these leagues will be left behind and it's all going to come down to financial commitment. I think it helps us. I think it helps the Sun Belt. Um, because, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like the NCAA is trending towards a, you know, we say P5, but but really, I think it's going to be a P7, P8. I think it's going to be a top 60 schools. That's what I think. Type, type of scenario, maybe even the top 60 schools. And, and right now, I would say that we, we fall into that top 60 threshold. Um, so, I, so I think it helps us. Does it help our, you know, fellow in-state schools that aren't, you know, LSU and maybe even Tulane? No, it, it destroys them. Good. 
um, Nichols and Southeastern and ULM and even McNeese never be the same again. Um, Tend to agree with you there. Which, which, which is kind of sad when you think about it, regardless of, of what we have is our issues with them. Is it? But it, it, Josh, really. Hey, man, look, when it comes to the other schools in this state, I'm double birds all day. I got nothing. Sorry. I don't know. My my thing is is McNeese and Nichols has has given us you know good competition in in baseball in years past. So I, I guess a question would be: Is all of this sweeping change truly worth it in the grand scheme? Well, I think it's about the have and have nots. I mean, that's what yeah. the top 60 schools is all right. You know, trying to make that welcome, 60 cut. And here's the thing. Welcome to college you, athletics. And look, Matt, you say we, you, you think we can make the top 60. I, I'm nervous about that, man. I mean, look, if you look at our budget compared to a lot of the P5, how many P5 schools exist right now? Just, I mean, what we're, we'd say around a rough estimate about 60 or 70, or about, probably about 55, 60. Yeah, but even some of those with the biggest budgets, I mean, look at Vanderbilt. Look at Illinois. I mean, there are, look at Missouri. There are tons of them that they can't compete in these conferences, even though they got $50, $60 million athletic. Well, they can't, but when it comes to resources, they still have more than us. Yes, That's I understand where that, we but have to. Having resources and being committed to athletic success is not the same thing. It's not, but it comes down to in order to be committed to success, you got to have resources. You got to raise money. You got to have the support staff, the fan base. I mean, we, we have the passion, but do we really have the numbers? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not so sure. Um, but to your point, Matt, I, I think you're right. Look, you look at the smaller schools, you know, the Southland and the Missouri Valley, they, it's, it's going to be, it's a totally different, it's a totally different situation there. Um, I mean, look, you've seen the way the WAC and the, the Southland have sort of complemented each other with schools going back and forth because of budgeting issues. I mean, that's why the Southland basically disbanded from Texas because they didn't want to be able to compete with with budgets that were half the size of the of, of the schools in Texas, like Lamar and Abilene Christian compared to Magnese and Nichols. I mean, even at that level, they're having issues with 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 resources. And it's it's it is really sad to see, but it's 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 a game of have and have nots, man. And I mean, that's what I mean, look at the NIL thing, man. Look at the NIL. I mean, you can have all the money in the world. If you don't have the corporations and you don't have the businesses supporting you, it doesn't matter, you know? Well, a lot of this stuff is still speculative, so we'll see. Um, this this is proposed changes. It, it, it's not necessarily policy yet. Uh, a lot of people seem to think that it's basically a foregone conclusion, so we'll wait and see. Uh, but definitely something to keep your eye on, and, and it's very intriguing because we follow this stuff, we care about it, and obviously it affects uh, the Raging Cajuns, and that's, uh, that's what we cover, obviously, so... Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. 
This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. was a conversation on Raging Pagan, and it was about uh, the best starting rotation over the course of the last 25 years. Um, they they kind of dragged it out until, I don't know, forever. When, what's the best ever? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to propose a, a similar question, but different. And I kind of talked to the guys before. So everybody's under in the same agreement. Nobody can pick Gunner. You can't pick Gunner. That's too easy. And I was tempted to say Moody and Doman, but... I figured you guys would use good judgment. What we're going to do is, is we're going to build our ideal staff. If we had one series to win a college world championship and we're going to do it with our favorite players, the era is, is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. It can be anybody from eighties, nineties, early two thousands, twenty twenties, whatever. So we're going to build our top three starters that we would take into the weekend. I'm good. I was, I was specific enough to name the year. Because you know how collegiate guys are. They'll have a great year one year, and then they kind of fall back. So I actually put the year on my pitchers. So we're going to have three starters. We're going to have two relievers and one closer. Uh, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of debate that a little bit and have some fun. It should be uh, something to, to have some, some conversation and some engagement from the audience. But this was a lot of fun. It actually took me two hours. I wrote down so many names, and I erased and moved on. And I had to keep changing people. And the further that I dug, the more I found other names that I had to add to the list. So... This ought to be good. Uh, Nick is itching, so I'm going to let Nick go. He he couldn't wait. No, no, because I'm still going back and forth with three of the names on my list right now, so I'm going to have to defer to somebody else because I am still literally have 12 names on my list, and I'm still looking, debating right now. Gerald, you want to take the – do you want to go first? I did want to ask, the relievers, are they actual relievers, or could I use, like, a starter as a no, reliever? No, have to be relievers. Primary rule Ooh. on the team was Okay, relievers. well, hold on. For, for for somebody, you know, for, for, for the young buck here, it doesn't always say on the website if they were relievers or not. I use well, closers as relievers. I'm just saying. That, like that, put, that, that's fine. He's a reliever. Typically, you know, you'll look at, they're not going to, if they're a reliever, they didn't throw 150 innings, right? right? They're going to be between, say, 25 and 50 innings if they're a reliever. Look at these reprobates doing the shit on the fly. Look at this. No, I mean, I've got, and and this is a tough one, man. Five years. That's the point, Jerry. All right, look, I'll kick us off. All right, I'll kick us off. I got it. Go ahead. You go first. You go first. I'm going to tell you. 
I'm going to tell you my pitcher, and then I'm going to tell you what I would do with him and why I picked him. Because some of these numbers are, you know, you, you, over the years you forget how important these these pitchers were. So I'm going to – it's a little bit out of left field for some, but I'm telling you, if you remember this season, I think you'll agree. 2010, okay, the, the Cajuns were 38-22, and 22, but they kind of ended on a, a, a little bit of an easy schedule, and they – they relied heavily on one pitcher who delivered probably the greatest postseason performance that I have ever witnessed live. And that's Zach Osborne. Zach Osborne in 2010. If you guys don't remember, he was our bona fide ace. It wasn't close. He threw 121 innings. He went nine and four. He gave up 32 earned runs in 121. Okay. This guy had a 237 ERA and a 0.99 whip. That's correct. And that man was your Friday night starter the entire season. Give me Zachy O on a Friday night in Omaha to get us started. Do I do I go next or is that on a Friday? We're going Friday night. We're doing rotation <laughs> We're here. We're ruining um, this for you, Josh. Jerry, did you do your homework on the bus? You that's this is the kind of vibe I'm getting. You did your homework on the bus on the way to school. Look at Look, this. I'll I'll go with my it's, Friday night guy is Scott Doman. <sighs> Case closed. My Friday night guy. I mean, you can't argue with Doman. Did, did, Give me, was uh, it, was it 99 or 2000? Well, that's be... cheating. That's cheating. Why is it cheating? <laughs> that's like saying, oh, let's put together the best Cleveland Cavaliers lineup of all time. I got you, LeBron. He said, come he on, said, man. Take the three best starters that you want on your team, and I got them right here. Number one is Scott Doman. No, so you're taking and 2000 Scott Doman. So you're taking I mean, 2000 Scott Doman on Friday Scott night. Doman. Yeah, I mean, you can't I, I argue think, with it. I think I think Doman should have been one of the crossouts, just like Gunner. Yeah, in, in retrospect, I, I would have taken out Doman. All right, you know what? Go, I'll be fair. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go first, Nick. I was going to say, my number two, it should have been number one, was 1992 Javi DeJesus. Oh, Dude, nice. wow. You're going way back. I was going way back. I needed, I needed a throwback. I, I got one. I, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Who's, who's well, no, your Friday? Look, we're going to do Friday starters. Right. Since I'm you're doing go this as we go, Mr. No, no, look. Do hey, my homework I've... on the bus guy. <laughs> but it's hard to because there are so many. But you know what? I'm I'm going to go 2007. 2007, Danny Farquhar, Friday night. Nice. You want to you wanna fill us in on how you feel about that? Or what? It's, well, just give you it's a good more, feeling it's on a Friday more, night, get you ready. It's more of a memory. What I loved about Danny was – you know, watching him pitch, he came from like six different angles. And I just remember like, it was so fun watching him in conference because we were playing teams like FIU, FAU, who would come in and, you know, they, they were, had a reputation for hitting the ball pretty well. And then Danny would like, he would throw like an overhand fastball, you know, and then throw a little change up. And then he would come up with the sidewinding slider and they would just stare at it. And I'm just like, how does this guy do that? You know, it was just one of those things you just watch. You're like, whoa. So, yeah, I'm going to go with 2007 Danny Farquhar. I'll say this about Danny. When I watched him pitch live, I thought to myself, how can any human hit that? Because, like you said, it was all it was just effectively wild. If you I mean, it was it was something to see in person. Matt, give me a Friday night starter if you want to get started to win a college world championship. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the year. I'm going to read a stat line, and then I want you guys to tell me who you think it is. 2014, 89 and two-thirds innings, 
69 hits, 35 runs, 31 of them earned. He walked 24, and he struck out 80, had a season ERA of 3.11. All right, so I'm going to say, okay, Austin Robichaux was the Friday guy, but I'm going to say Carson Baranek. It's not Carson. I, th- I think it was Austin because he had a 3-2 or a 3-1. It is Austin. Austin. Yep. Austin. Austin's my dude. Cody Booby threw Austin, a lot of innings that year, and he had like a 3-3-7, I think. And Austin was electric on Friday nights, so why would, why would I not start off with him? I actually thought Austin was better in 2013 just because we weren't very good. But it's a good pick, Matt. I didn't want to, I didn't want to shit on your selection there. I'm sorry. Thank you. All right, right back to me. I guess I'll go Saturday starter. And uh, I, this guy does not get the run that he deserves, and it's really a shame because he had one of the best seasons in Raging Cajun pitching history. I'm sure he has a few records off of this particular season. Um, you might remember the name, Nick. And, Jerry, I think you were still in school when this happened. Or maybe, maybe, and I mean high school, not college. Austin fought. Fought. Dude, you took mine. I thought that's where you were going with it. (laughs) Give me Austin on Saturday at the College World Series. Buddy went 12-0 and through 90 innings, right? Gave up 24 earned runs. He had a 2-4 ERA with a 1.17 whip. That is dumb. That's dumb. And look, that was a good team, but they weren't, I mean... 2005 was they were a good team, but like they weren't 2007. And I know you know we went to the New Orleans Regional, and that was a weird experience. But they weren't 2007. And and by the way, whoever who who picked was it who who picked a 2007 pitcher was that? Oh, you I picked Farquhar. Farquhar, dude. That yeah. 2007 team is one of our best teams we've ever had, and people don't talk about them ever because they're too. No, we should have hosted. We we oh, got yeah. shafted. We should have hosted that year. We shouldn't have gone two, to College Station. That Texas A&M Regional was bonkers. That, that we should have awesome. hosted. That, that, that was awesome. Uh, anyway, sorry. I'm taking Austin Fought on my Saturday night to win me a World Series. Well, you took my guy, so thanks. This is what happens when you prepare early, Jerry. Yeah, and I'm also <laughs> switching, by the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Javi on Friday because he's a bulldog. He got 13 wins in 92, so I got Javi Friday, Doman Saturday. He's pulling the old switcheroo. That's the Tony, that's the Tony move. He's, he's going. He's I going. I, hey, I, I have not handed up my uh my lineup card yet so i can still make those changes you still got to have the meeting with the guys and you got to ask andy how he's feeling or you got to ask uh, javi how he's feeling you got to tell doman look man we didn't come this far to get to the super we want to go to a college world championship all right so since you took mine because i like fought i know you were right fought was a was a mean lefty and he was fun to watch i think he got drafted by the red sox that year he was only a one-year guy uh believe it or not he got hurt against Alabama in the elimination game in the New Orleans Regional. He pitched one inning. I don't I think he didn't even give up a hit or anything. Retired all three. I think if he stays in that game, we win. We, we win that game if he pitches at least six or seven. But that's beside the point. So I'm going to go – I guess I'll take the easy way out on this one for obvious reasons, but also he was a stud on the mound that year, 2014 Carson Baranek. I mean, that, that's there's no question uh, all with American. me with him. All yeah, America. I mean that that that's e- it's an easy go to, but Carson was. I mean, what more can you say about him on Saturday again in, uh, in 2014? Can't go wrong. It's true. It's true. So my Saturday guy is going to be from the 2021 team, and he was a stud, and he's now cooking it up for the Blue Jays organization. My man Connor Cook. 
You got a stat line on Cookie? Because honestly, I don't know if I've ever looked at a stat line from last year. He went 79 and two-thirds, 44 hits, 25 runs, 37 walks, 90 Ks, had an ERA of 2.03. That's all good. That's Look, so I got to I gotta pick a guy that's going to win me a college world championship, assuming that one of the other two lose and we don't sweep, right? So I got to get a Sunday guy. My Sunday guy is uh, a, a well-known name. I can't believe he hasn't been picked yet. I'm actually happy because I didn't want to have to go back and change anything or have to look it all up over, all over again. But uh, he's got plenty of records here at uh, the Raging Cajun Baseball Program. And uh, look, man, it's Hunter Moody. It's easy. Oh, That's you my, took mine. Hunter's my easy one, yeah, right? You, you gotta go with, yeah, you got to so, go with Hunter. 2006, Hunter Moody goes 12-2. and two. He pitches 113 innings. He strikes out 86, walks 26. He had a whip of 1.12 and an ERA of 2.63. Now, look, that was a pretty good staff. I mean, you had Buddy Glass, you had Jason Fernandez, Danny Farquhar was still there, Chad Beck. I mean, Chad Beck, Greg, yeah. Greg Wilborn was there. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through the lineup now. Matt Pilgreen, you know, a guy that we mm-hmm. – Greg Harmon. Lots mm-hmm. of very good pitchers, reliable guys that you could – you know, we all remember. So, uh, he had support, but, man, he, that guy was – I mean, what do you say about Hunter Moody? I, I, he's probably – he's got to have – he's got to be the most winning pitcher. I think he is the most winning pitcher as a, as a Cajun, right? I think he still is. He has to be. Has to be. I think he still is. Yeah. So give me give me Hunter well, on Sunday for, at the College World Series. Thanks for taking mine. Um luckily for luckily for y'all, I'm smart. I prepared a backup plan. Um give me my guy Wyatt Marks. Now 20. Wyatt, Wyatt Marks is uh he's gonna be complicated because he was technically a reliever. That turn starter. Do we all vote that we can use him twice? Yes, because I'm going to use somebody who was a starter and a reliever. So yes, okay, I good, would say good, yes. perfect. All okay. right, so so two my my Sunday guy is starter Wyatt Marks. Starter Wyatt Marks. All right, now you got to have like been in that role for like a year, and then the next year you're a starter. That kind of thing, like like a Phil DV that moves from reliever to starter, like that kind of thing. I'm trying to remember if he pitched on Sunday back. We'll, then, come, we'll come back was, to you, Nick. You go. Yeah, let me look this up real quick. My Sunday starter, you already said his name, native of La Chute, Quebec, Mr. Phil Devi. I'm going yeah. heavy on 2000s, man. An all-around good guy. How could you not? I mean, numbers speak for themselves. Exactly. And by the way, Doman and Devi both have World Series experience, so we're talking about guys who can. Bring it home for us. Hey, Jerry. This is important. Hey, Jerry. Mm-hmm. You're fired. <laughs> how were you How were you the one guy that didn't come prepared? Look, dude, when you got a three-month-old no, and you've got that, a, you uh, the, uh, No, it doesn't you, count tonight. Hey, 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 you hey. Uh, Look, you see what I'm doing? You see what I'm doing? I'm milking that for what it's worth. Just come wait. On, just, just wait. Just wait. I, you say that, you laugh. Just wait. You're about to get married. You're about to just wait. I'm telling you, just wait. Jerry, why didn't you eat dinner? Well, when you have a three-month-old. Well, actually, I, I was eating while literally Come I, was on, feeding, man. I was feeding her simultaneously, if you really want to know. But uh, it makes you feel better. Um, but I see what, what confuses me is I can't remember if he pitched on Sunday or Saturday in 2015. 
but I was going to say Evan Guillory. I, I, I remember that year he was a Evan freshman. Evan was the Sunday guy. That's okay. Then the yeah, that's, well then what's the problem? That was my guy. I just didn't remember if he pitched on Sunday or Saturday that, cause I know he started the season as a Saturday pitcher that day, I believe. But as time went on, I think they moved, uh, Tony moved him to Sunday. Yeah. Well, hell, at what, at what point he was the Friday guy. Yeah. But they that's moved true. him to Sunday towards the end of the year. Honorable mention, and I'm surprised nobody mentioned this guy, the pride of Eunice, Louisiana, Kevin Ardouin. 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 Yeah, it was the Friday, Friday guy. It was, I think that year it was Kevin was Friday, Austin was Saturday, and I think either Honey or Blue was Sunday. I think it was Hunter. Uh, either it's Hunter or CJ Blue. I don't remember. Either way. Yeah. Either way. Still, a, a good Cajun pitcher that doesn't ever get mentioned. All right, my first guy out of the pen, if I'm in a pickle, I'm going to none other than 2017 Wyatt Marks, the reliever. The reliever. <laughs> he tossed 59 innings. Uh, well, he was 2-1, but obviously he's a reliever, so he threw 59 innings. Listen to these stats. 59 innings. He gave up 15 earned runs. He struck out 100 batters. He had a 2-2-8 ERA, and his whip was .91 for the season. That is stupid. You know what's funny? The guys I'm picking, I can't even find stats for them. <laughs> I'm just going by memory that they were good. Well, I looked them up on the Baseball Cube, which had a, a, a plethora of information for the guys that I wanted to pick. If you guys remember, this is, this is on that same 2000 staff. I think he graduated in 99. I want to say he was a senior in 99, but it's a 99 reliever, okay? Guy, little talked about, Alan Ochsner. You guys hmm. remember Alan? Yes, I do. 6 and 0, 76 innings pitched. Struck out 94 batters, had a 2.45 ERA and a 1.24 whip on one of the best staffs that Tony ever had, that 99-2000 team that kind of overlapped. Give me Alan Oshner, basically unhittable out of the pen in long relief. I will go back to 99. And uh, and go with my boy who was playing first base and because he could hit, but then you'd put him in the game and he, nobody could hit him, would be B.J. Ryan. Just because he was B.J. Ryan, man. I, I tell you, when, when, he would, when he would take the mound, the place went crazy. That was fun. He was fun. My other reliever is the reliever, Danny Farquhar. That Nikki D, you suck. Ridiculous out of the pit. <laughs> Nikki D, you suck. <laughs> um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to revamp my entire sheet now because that's all like of my prior to 2013. I'm out. Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, okay, in 2013, you guys were all what mid 20s, late 20s? No, yeah, right, okay, yeah, 29. Yeah, I was going to class you know, with Alan Oshner and BJ Ryan, okay? <laughs> you, you know what, you know what, <laughs> that's you know what I was. You know what I was doing in 2013? In geometry class, my junior year of high school. All right, so my two, well, I now have one reliever. And it and it's Dylan Moore. Demo was You're gonna use what, Dylan he, as a, a reliever and not as your closer? Well, I had BJ Ryan as my closer. Okay, that's fair. Until it got taken from me, but it was 
<laughs> you know, one of my favorite robisms is when he when he was asked about Dylan Moore and why you know he was using him so much, and and Robe said, "Look, when you've got a a Chevy and a Ferrari in a garage, which one are you driving?" He said, "You're driving the Ferrari every single time." He said, and Dylan Dylan Moore was the Ferrari, and I've always loved that quote. So definitely going uh going Dylan Moore, and then I don't know. I, I wrote this guy in. I don't know if he really was considered a reliever. He was a pitcher slash infielder. Um, it's kind of a cop out, but Justin Robichaux. There is no wrong answer. Oh no, Jerry. I actually have mine, and um, okay. go ahead, go ahead. They're more recent. Um, well, I'm gonna go. It may sound like an easy pick, but it's an obvious pick based on the results that year. Um, I'm gonna go 2014 Matt Hicks. Uh, I think it was like a 1.24 ERA. 25 Excellent appearances. Pick. I don't think anybody could. Nobody could barely hit him. I say it's an easy way out because it's a 2014 team, but every time he went in, it seemed like nobody could do anything against him. So, of course, you know, he was kind of the main reliever that year. Uh, Also, I'm going to go a little more recent than that. I'm going to say 2016 Eric Carter. Um, Ooh, very nice. Another one, very similar to Matt Hicks. Nobody could really hit him. (laughs) Uh, Both guys, Eric Carter, both Matt Hicks and Eric Carter, if you look at their size, they weren't tall pitchers. They didn't really have that that meat in their bones, I guess. They were a little bit on the shorter side, a little bit smaller guys, but they threw heat. They threw heat. So, yeah, Matt Hicks, 2014, 2016, Eric Carter, my two relievers. Very nice. i uh surprised Scoob didn't come off the board. What about uh closers? Do y'all do close? We're doing closers too? Well, I can't use Dylan anymore because technically he would have been my closer, but I'm just going to take the... I'm going to take Shambo off the board before you guys do because I don't want to be left out in the cold with no with no closer. So I'm taking Craig. I got Gordon O'Brien, 99-2000. Nice. I had Craig until you took him. (laughs) Well, I I was going to be Demo in, uh, I think it was 2016 Demo, which was, if you look at his numbers. I mean, yeah, I – it's it's hard, like as a closer, it's kind of hard to go past Craig or Demo. They're, they're I mean, they really are the top. They're, they're the top two closers. Matt, you have a closer. Um, I had BJ Ryan, and then my backup plan was Craig Shambo. So screw you all. Um, can somebody give me a good Cajuns closer, please, from history? <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I would do if I were you is I would take Scoob Wilson from 2014, stick him in your reliever role, and then move Demo to your closer role. Dude, if you look at Scoob Wilson's 2014 What he said. They're unbelievable. Go back and look. I know he kind of got shelled at the end of that Ole Miss series, but if you go go back and look at his stat line for 2014, it's super good. Who who didn't get shelled at the end of that Ole Miss series? Let's be honest. Well, we just ran out of gas. We ran out of pitching. Matt Plitt was another good reliever that I didn't have room for. Clinton was a good one. Yeah. All righty. That was fun. App State this weekend in Boone. Kind of a big series for us because we got to keep winning. App State probably doesn't have very much left to play for. I don't even know if they would qualify for the conference tournament at this point. Are they still fighting for their life? I think that's the case. So talk to Jerry before the segment, and he said he was going to kind of run down their schedule a little bit before they we dig into the, their uh, pitching and defense. Um, Jerry, what 
what's going on with App State? Uh, I think they've kind of split the last ten, maybe five and five, four and six type thing. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if they have any midweek games this week, but uh, anything noteworthy on the schedule that we should be looking out for? Not really. Um, it's kind of not to be mean, but it's kind of like uh, anticlimactic if you look at their schedule. Uh, they haven't really won many series, to be honest with you. The last series they won was last week against ULM. That was the first time they had won a series, I believe, uh, since Little Rock uh, in like three weeks or something like that. Wow, three what's their conference weeks. record? Uh, their conference record right now, actually, they sit at um, – I think overall they've won like 12 games, maybe. Well, they're, Yeah, they're, they're, they are now um, – they're 14-24 and 24 overall. They're 5-13 okay. and 13 in conference – uh, if you look at their non-conference schedule, they really haven't played many good. I mean, they, they, the first series, the first weekend series, they took two out of three on the road against Campbell. Um, but outside of that, they, they lost, they lost uh, a three game series to North Carolina Greensboro. They won a series against UNC Wilmington. They lost another uh, two out of three to Charlotte and then conference play. They really haven't done much. So they've won. They lost, uh, two out of three to Georgia Southern. They lost. They got swept by Texas State. They got swept by South Al. They got swept by Coastal, and but they did manage to win one against, I believe it was Little Rock. And they, yeah, they took two out of three against Little Rock, but that and two out of three against ULM. But that was really it. So nothing, nothing too special uh, with that. So, and I guess they're not trending. So, uh, I you know the top ten in the league make the conference tournament. So obviously that's. Something that they would maybe want to do, I would assume. Uh, Jerry, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Nick, what can we expect from them for uh, on the mound? I don't know anything about most of their – I know they have a capable Friday guy. I want to say it was that left-hander from last year that they moved from Saturday to Friday. Am I right on that? Uh, Tyler Tuthill is a Friday night guy. Tuthill, yep, that's it. Yeah. Um, what to expect? Not much, honestly. Um, he's Tuthill's one and four in the season. He's got an ERA around six. Gosh. So um yeah, he's he's not, not having a great season. Saturday they got a righty Trey Tuish. Um he's also got a four and six record, three point six ERA, uh, and then they close it out with Cameron Carter, who's got a seven point two ERA and one and four. He gave up six to ULM. They had to pull him last Sunday. So um I think their their staff ERA is around five or six. So man, um patient at the plate is the key, I guess, be patient at the plate, wait for your pitch. And, um, based on, on, on the, the staff's ERA, I think we'll be fine because it, it actually goes up from there. Um, I think that the relievers are in the sevens. So, um, not that, not that impressive, but then again, they are division one athletes and they are playing us next weekend and we cannot afford to let up. So be patient. Don't swing at stupid pitches. And, um, I think we'll be all right. And it's a travel. I mean, look, when on the road, just because we went and swept Georgia State doesn't erase the struggles we've had on the road. So, hey, softball team, App State, you know, beat them on, on right. Friday night. So you, you right. can't you can't let up. Matt, are they going to hit the ball? Yeah, not really. Um, as as a team, they've got a two fifty five batting average, which is not you know it's not terrible, it's not great. Their leading average guy is a guy named Alex Aguia. He's hitting three eighteen on the year. Two doubles, one triple, a homer. He's got 20 RBIs. Their leading RBI guy is Luke Drumheller. He was there last year. Uh, he's got a 240 average. He's gotten 36 base hits, four doubles. He has two homers and 27 RBIs. 
They don't hit a lot of home runs as a team. They have 19 on the year. Wow. Um, but one thing I am that they draw a lot of walks. Well, actually, I take that back. It doesn't seem like they draw a lot, a lot, a lot of walks when you compare it to their opponents. Um, as a team, they have 134 walks on the year. But their opponents have 203. Well, if their staff is bad, that might explain some stuff. Um, and then uh, they're, they're not bad at stealing bases, 23-32 on the year. You got a guy in, in conference, Alex Reed. Um, he only has two plate appearances. He's hitting 500. Your, your best conference hitter is Alex Aguilla again. He's hitting 328 in the conference. Where hitters are at the time that you play them is more important than their season average. So yeah, that's important. What, what else is telling, I think, Matt, is that nobody on that roster is slugging over 450, I think. Correct. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's horrible. In, in, in conference – that has more than two plate appearances. Yeah, your your closest is 436. That's. Do, are they good defensively? What, I mean, do they do anything? Like? So let's see. <laughs> defensively, they have a team fielding to throw percentage. Them a bone. I mean, God. They what have a team mean? fielding percentage of 964. That's awful. Um, they have 24 errors as a team on the year. Past balls, their catchers have been pretty good. Only one pass ball this year. But, yeah, no, they, they really don't do a lot of things well, Josh. They really don't. So, basically, we got to get there first, not beat ourselves, and we probably should feel like we can win the series. You, you, should, you should probably sweep. Well, I never used that word. And, and, and you see, I, I hate to use it, too. But just looking at their statistics and then the way that we're playing right now, I think anything less than a sweep is is pretty unacceptable. Well, at least as long as we don't play down to that level, right? As right. long as we don't play down, we'll be fine. Yeah, and if their pitchers can't fill the position, kind of like you know, Arkansas State, all we got to do is bunt the ball and play, and we can score four or five runs just like that. Oh my God, I can't believe I I, I did not realize that they were that bad on paper. Uh, but again, if they're trending, if certain guys are starting to catch fire and. That that's the most important thing in baseball. Who's playing how at what time? That's the most important thing. But still, on paper, it doesn't sound great. Anyway, uh, we've kept you guys long. It's been a long episode. We des- we desperately needed to get the news out about the national stuff. You know, we had to recap what we did to Matt on this last uh, uh, space because, I mean, come on. It was fun and worth it. But at Raisin Review on all social platforms – Get at us on the social media. Twitter, Monday nights. We try to do them at least once every other Monday. We do the space. It's all for you guys. We have a lot of fun doing that. Please join when you can. We will see you guys on the other side of hopefully another conference series win.